You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going to start Buffalo Prep early, the third showdown of the season, the rubber match with the Bills coming up on Sunday. We'll look back at weeks two, or weeks three, rather, and week 15, how we won, how they won, plus where the regular season stats and individual ranks finished, and we'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel and his Wednesday media availability. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the drive time. That's another Miami Dolphins. So it is, in fact, Wednesday, which usually means big picture items, but that feels a little bit hollow In a one-game season situation we have coming up this week where I usually would tell you, here's what's going on, here's why the sample size matters or why it can get better, or whatever the case may be as far as projecting things based upon process over results, which was kind of the, I guess, MO of the Wednesday podcast. But instead here, I'd rather focus on the two games against Buffalo early and look back at those contests with what we can learn about the upcoming rubber match on Sunday in Buffalo. But first... Before that, let's go ahead and recap the regular season with stats here. The Dolphins in total were sixth this year in total offense. Remember back in March, we talked about 25 years since a top 10 offense. It's now been zero years since a top 10 offense. Number two are tied for it in yards per play, 11th in scoring, fourth in passing, and 25th in rushing. The Dolphins defense was 18th in total D, 24th in scoring, 27 against the pass and fourth against the run in net and sixth in yards per rush allowed this year on defense. At the quarterback position, Tua Tungavailoa finished first in the following categories. Passer rating, 105.5. Touchdown percentage was 6.3%. That tied with Patrick Mahomes. 8.9 yards per attempt was eight, or I should say eight tenths of a yard better than Mahomes, who was number two. Net yards per dropback, 804. Adjusted yards per dropback, 8.37. Red zone passer rating, 112.2. Third down passer rating, 130.1. Deep ball passer rating, 124.7. I mean, did we not just crush every single offseason narrative right there in one fell swoop? Can't throw it deep. Can't execute on third and long. You know, quarterback that doesn't step up in the big moments. Red zone, third down, deep ball, all number one in the NFL. Go fight your wall about it. Deep ball accuracy. He was 54.5%. He was the only quarterback who was better than 50% who had at least 30 passes of 20 plus yards. And before you talk about sample size, he had the 14th most deep ball attempts this year at 55. Burrow, by the way, who played the entire year, had 52. He was one of 12 quarterbacks with an interception rate at 2% or fewer. And despite missing four and a half games, he was tied for eighth in the NFL in touchdown passes, was 12th in passing yards, 
and he was fifth in yards per game at 272.9 yards per game. 25 touchdowns, 3,548 yards, by the way. He was third in total QBR, 68.5, behind only Mahomes and Allen. Hertz was fourth, and another Pro Bowl quarterback, Geno Smith, was sixth, and uh, Jared Goff was fifth on that list. Joe Burrow was 10th. He was the other Pro Bowl quarterback in the AFC. And then the other Pro Bowl quarterback was Kirk Cousins, 23rd. So a little bit of a, you know, you're going to learn the theme from all these stats is that Tua is in the same category statistically as Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, EPA per play, second. That was behind only Patrick Mahomes at 0.24 expected points added per play. Josh Allen was third at 0.22. Success rate on dropbacks. He was sixth in the NFL at 50%. Mahomes led the NFL at 53.8%. He was second in passer rating under pressure. Can't play against pressure. Yeah, so much for that. 91.6, only behind Josh Allen's 96.7. He threw 20 touchdown passes while under pressure. That was ninth in the NFL. And again, he missed four and a half games, which is the only question mark at this point. I think my favorite stat of all time is the fact that Tua is the youngest quarterback to lead the NFL in passer rating since 22-year-old Danny Marino back in 1984 with the most legendary quarterback season ever in NFL history, if you look at the standards by which quarterbacks played back then and how much better he was than everybody else. And I thought it was Ken O'Brien in 1985, but I got a note that said that he actually turned 25 the year that he led the league in passer rating. So technically, Tua is the youngest quarterback since Marino in 1984. And how about the fact that 40% of the list that I'm going to talk about here in a second is Dolphins quarterbacks. Reno and Tua are two of the five quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era to lead the league in passer rating before their 25th birthday. It's Tua this year. Nick Foles in 2013 was also 24, but a little bit younger than, or older than Tua, I should say. O'Brien was 24 as well, but younger than Tua in 1985. And then Dan Marino was 22 in 1984. That's crazy. And so was Greg Cook back in 1969, the 22-year-old quarterback of the Bengals. So those are the five quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era who have led the NFL in pass rating before their 25th birthday. Two of them, Miami Dolphins. One of them, your current quarterback in Tua Tungabailoa. Wide receivers. Tyreek Hill was second in receptions with 119 and yards at 1,710. He was 15th in touchdowns with seven. Third with 77 first downs, and he finished fifth with 10.1 yards per target. Every time you threw the ball to Tyreek, it was an average of a first down. He led the NFL with 3.2 yards per route ran, and Justin Jefferson was second in that category at 2.62. That's part of the Dolphins' like rotation at receiver. You know, Jefferson didn't leave the field a whole heck of a lot, but Miami did a good job of kind of subbing in Tyreek and Jalen, keeping them fresh, giving them less snaps, but they were really productive when they were out there, obviously. Uh, his 669 yards on deep passes, 20 plus air yards, led the NFL. Weird, right? You know, he came to a quarterback that couldn't throw deep and he led the NFL in that category. Five touchdowns on deep balls was second most in the NFL, also super weird. Combined, he and Jalen Waddle had a 1,018 yards on deep balls. That was 201 yards more than the second place tandem of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. It's weird, isn't it? Waddle led the NFL in yards per target at 11.6. Uh, A.J. Brown was second at 10.3, so Waddle had a breakout elite campaign, should be an all-pro and pro bowler, but we'll find out about that later. Uh, He was seventh in yards with 1,356. He was 11th with eight touchdowns, and he was ninth with 60 first downs. He also led the NFL in yards per catch at 18.1, and he was third in yards per route ran. Tyreek, 3.2. Justin Jefferson, 2.69. Jalen Waddle, 2.59. I mean, 
you are the company you keep, man. Trent Sherfield was third on the team with 417 receiving yards. He scored twice and averaged 8.2 yards per target. And Mike Gesicki was fourth with 362 yards and his five receiving touchdowns were third on the team behind Tyreek and Jalen. Raheem Mostert at running back finished with 4.9 yards per rush. Jeff Wilson, 4.7. Raheem did finish with 891 yards and 1,093 yards from scrimmage and five total touchdowns. Wilson had 486 yards from scrimmage and four touchdowns. Raheem was 18th in the NFL, forcing 39 missed tackles. He also finished with an average of 3.52 yards after initial contact. That was sixth among running backs who had at least 100 attempts. Across the offensive line as a team, 21st in run block win rate and 24th in pass block win rate at ESPN. ESPN did not have any individuals in the top 10 in pass block or run block win rate on the offensive line. Teron, Connor, and Rob were in those charts at various points this season. As for PFF pressure numbers, Teron Armstead, 98.1 pass block efficiency. That ranked 8th among all offensive tackles who had at least 400 pass blocking snaps. Our left guard did not qualify for season rankings, but Liam had 27 pressures allowed on a pass blocking average, or efficiency I should say, of 96.3. And Rob Jones, who also played some right guard, 11 pressures for a PBE of 97.4. Those, that's... That's got to be better next year, that, that left guard PBE number in total. At center, Connor Williams, 98.6 pass block efficiency, was eighth among all centers. He was PFF's third highest graded run blocking offensive center if you're into their grades. Robert Hunt had a 98.1 PBE as well. It tells you how great Tehran is, right? Because this was 17th among all guards, but having that same number at the tackle position was really, really impressive. And again, for posterity, he was the fifth highest graded run blocking guard, not right or left. It's all guards, 17th and fifth in those two categories. We also averaged 6.8 yards per rush coming off right guard this year per per pro football focus, 34 carries for 231 behind 68. Uh, Right tackle also did not qualify but Shell had 95.4 pass block efficiency. He had the most pressures allowed with 40. Greg Little was second with 35 and a a 94.1 PBE, which is the exact same number Austin Jackson had in his limited number of of snaps this year. Pretty clear areas to upgrade there, or or I I suppose to find, you know, better production uh, next season. Although to be fair to Shell, a quarter of those pressures occurred at left tackle. That's just not his position. On the defensive side of the football, 50% pass rush win rate was third in the NFL behind Philly and Dallas, who tied at 52%. Uh, The fourth place team was 47%. This defensive front is very good, man. 32% run stop win rate was eighth in the NFL as a team. What do you think the issue was on defense? It wasn't the front. Christian Wilkins, uh, first in run stop win rate among defensive tackles, 46%. And second place was 43%. 10th place was 40%. So he had a nice little cushion there over the rest of the field. 98 tackles, obviously most by a defensive lineman since 1994 in the NFL. He had eight more run stops, which is... Uh, PFF changed the description of the stat. What the stat means is um, preventing the offense from achieving 40% of the first down yardage needed on first down, 60% of the yardage needed on second down, and then did they convert or did they not convert on third down? So it's not the two, the two yard stat we've been talking about. They converted uh, recently um, to basically, are you putting the, the, did the offense or defense win the play basically? So he had 55 of those second place was DeForest Buckner with 47 and Christian was charged with just four missed tackles per pro football focus. That was the second lowest missed tackle rate among all qualifying defensive tackles as well. He also tied the position group lead with seven batted balls 
at the line of scrimmage. He had the three and a half sacks, seven quarterback hits, and his 16 TFLs trailed only Chris Jones from Kansas City, who had 17. And how about 952 snaps out of our 1,140? That's an 84% workload, 56 snaps per game. You might have heard somewhere else, 30 snaps per game. That's about half the workload. And we watch the games around here and... and understand what's going on. Uh, Zach Sealer led the team in position group with 31 quarterback pressures. Wilkins had 30. They both finished in the top 30 in the league in that category. And Sealer was also sixth among defensive tackles with 41 run stops. Jalen Phillips was tied for 12th in the NFL with 25 QB hits. That's regardless of position. He was fourth among his position group and pass rush win rate, 24%. Only Parsons, Reddick, Garrett, and Hendrickson were either higher or tied with him in that category. He, of course, of the team with seven sacks and had 70 pressures, which was tied for sixth among edge defenders per pro football focus. Ingram had the second most sacks with six and Landon Roberts and Baker paired for eight and a half, 4.5 for E-Rob, four for Bake. They both also eclipsed 100 tackles on the year. Bradley Chubb finished seventh in pass rush win rate, although a lot of that was from Denver, 23%. Uh, he had two and a half sacks with the team and 12 QB hits was, was a good number for him uh, just in the half of the season here pretty much on par with what Phillips was doing. Xavier led the team with 12 passes defense. Cater Kohu was second with 10. Javon Holland third with seven. Holland had 96 total tackles, two picks, a forced fumble, and a sack and a half. And how about Cater playing 580 coverage snaps and allowing just 640 yards? That's really, really dang good for anybody, much less an undrafted rookie free agent who probably didn't have, you know, starting lineup in his sights when he Week one, he didn't start the game, but he played you know a few snaps and played really well. Just one touchdown allowed, had one pick, and an 80.7 passer rating allowed when being targeted this year in coverage. Really, really good year for Cater Kohu. I think he's going to be a star in this league. And like we mentioned on the offensive line, the attrition in this position group, you know, corner and safety, means nobody else qualified for top rankings. Brandon Jones, I'm sure, would have been right there. But the idea here is there's a lot of really good players in this team, man. A lot of really good players, a very strong core, a young group. I cannot wait to see what they do in Buffalo, but also beyond. You have, a, you have to feel really good about this roster because, you know, besides the injuries at corner, uh, some offensive line attrition and the tight end group really are three areas I think you can you can see potential improvement and growth from. And if you can get that and, and you know, stay even baseline elsewhere, which it's hard to think you wouldn't do that. I think the future is bright here. It's kind of what I'm getting at. Let's go ahead and officially start to get ready for... What could be our last game, I hope it's not, on Sunday in Buffalo. Let's talk about that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. 
Identity theft protection starts here. It's a Wednesday here on the Drive Time Podcast, and before we hear from head coach Mike McDaniel, I want to first go ahead and just look back before we look ahead at the previous two matchups, and we'll preview the entire thing tomorrow, but I thought we'd start the film prep by looking back at those two games, Week 3 and Week 15. They split the home-and-home, home. the combined score of those games, 51-50 to 50 in Buffalo's favor. Of course, Miami had that 8-point lead in the fourth quarter up in their building, but they scored the final 11 to pull out the victory late. And really, if you look at the, the stories of these games from box score perspective and numbers, and I think even the tape as well, to me, Miami was the better team in Buffalo, and Buffalo was a better team in Miami. That's how football goes, though, right? Let's go ahead and look at the stats back in the Week 3 game. First downs, 15-31. to 31. We're the first one, by the way. Uh, yeah, doubled up in first downs. Rush attempts, 17-41-2 and two for us. That was our lowest output of the season. Buffalo had 23 for 115 in that game. Uh, we were we had four sacks on Allen. They had two sacks on us. Net passing yards, 171 to 382. Allen was 42 for 63 for 400 yards and two touchdowns and no picks. Two was 13 for 20. Like <laughs> Threw the ball 43 less times for 186 yards, a touchdown and no picks. Uh, they ran 90 plays. We ran 39. How the hell do you win that game? 212 yards to 497. We had no fumbles. They had four and lost just one. We had no turnovers. They had just the one. Four penalties for Miami, 20 yards. Seven for Buffalo for 52. We were three for eight on third downs. They were 11 for 18. We did not try a fourth down. They tried three and got two of them, and they possessed the football for over 40 minutes in the game. Things that were unique to that game, Buffalo's yards per play total is 6.1 this year, which is tied with us for second place. In that game, it was just 4.7. So Miami really on balance defended Josh Allen so well all day, just 17 points for their offense, two for the safety that they scored uh, later on as well. But a late red zone stand and that killing clock drive on the final drive there at the end of the game, just kind of some unique circumstances. The the butt punt safety, I mean, you know what happened there. A third and 22 conversion from uh, Tua to Jalen that led to the game-winning touchdown just to play later. It was a hot and humid day. You know about that. And then in week 15, actually, let's go ahead and, and stay back real quick because that was a, a game plan where, and you heard Josh Boyer on the NFL films, uh, you know, inside the NFL footage the next day, telling the defense, like, stay patient, make them, make them play this way. This is how we want them to play and, and don't let them hit the big ball down the field. And, and Josh Allen has taken his game to another level doing that, but it ultimately is effective because if you can accomplish that goal and then capitalize on the takeaway opportunities, because they're going to be there. We'll talk about that more in here in just a second. If you can do both of those things, you can beat this team, provided who we have at quarterback, but you can beat this team and that offense if you can just, you have to secure the takeaway opportunities. We'll talk about that here more in just one second. But as far as the defense goes, playing that kind of, you know, peeled back approach, it's always going to be tougher when you don't have, you know, the secondary pieces you don't have right now. And Brandon Jones, obviously, being a big part of that. Javon Holland had the big strip sack in that game that led to, you know, offensive points for Miami. So it, you got you got what you needed in that game. That's the difference in the game, right? You have to get a takeaway, turn it into points, and, and really get yourself, you know, off on the right foot in that department. Week 15, that didn't happen. Here's the stats. Uh, us first again, 20 first downs to 29. We had 25 rushes for a buck 88 and touchdown. They had 29 for 150, so both teams ran the ball extremely well. Most of that was their quarterback. Um, let's see, 217 net passing yards for us, 296 for them. We completed 17 of 30 for 234 and two touchdowns. Allen was 25 for 40 for 304 and four 
touchdowns and no picks. Both quarterbacks were sacked twice. We ran 57 plays, so they're 71, so still really lapping us in that category. Uh, 405 yards for Miami, 446 for Buffalo, much closer there. We had one fumble, did not lose it. They had two and lost one. Miami didn't turn the ball over in either of the two games. Buffalo turned it over twice total. It's a big difference there. You got you have to win that against this team. Uh, Miami had eight penalties for 51 yards. Buffalo, seven for 51. The Dolphins were five of 14 on third downs. That's where the game was lost, in my opinion. Buffalo was eight for 14. Miami converted its only fourth down try. Buffalo did not try any. And the TOP was only 14 seconds of difference, 30 07 to 29-53. And things that were unique about that was much more even in the stats, but man, most teams that beat or hung with the Bills really got them big in the turnover department. They outpossessed them, outrepped them on offense with more plays, but we didn't really get any of that. Like we just went toe-to-toe with the best team in the football, in my opinion, and matched up both games for 60 minutes in both games. And especially that second game when remember it was like Buffalo Buffalo had that touchdown to go up 7-3. They added a field goal, I believe, and then we just kept on like tying them, like 10-10, 17-17. Like, we just kept on keeping it close and getting back and, and staying in the game when Buffalo looked like they might turn it into a runaway. That was the most impressive part to me was the offense responding and answering, coming up with the big answers every time Buffalo scored. It was the second highest rushing total allowed by Buffalo, the 188 yards. They allowed 208 to Green Bay earlier, which was crazy to me because I didn't, I didn't watch that game. I remember seeing it on TV uh, in the background, but like Buffalo was up by like 17 points in that game and Packers ran the ball in the second half, apparently um, compared to our first meeting where they allowed a season low 41 rushing yards. So you're behind the majority of the game. You run 39 plays. You're not going to get a lot of rushing yards. Josh Allen had 77 yards in the ground. This one, 47, the first go around. And we'll talk about the blitzing numbers here in one second. To me, the biggest thing that was different here was Miami going after Teron Johnson. We mentioned that the, uh, Bills play nickel defense like 96% of their snaps, which means Alec Ingold gets a lot of reps against Teron Johnson, the one of the best slot corners in the league. But you know what he's not like the best at? Taking on really good fullbacks. So I would have to imagine, you know, that's a big part of the game plan this week. And whereas the game in week three was a super hot and humid day, 28 degrees up in Buffalo, right around what it's going to be this time as well. So uh, game number one against the Bills, we blitzed Allen. Um, a lot. 17 for 22 he was against the Blitz. That's a 77% completion rate. He threw for 202 as 9.2 yards per pass with two touchdowns, no picks, and he was sacked twice. When we didn't blitz him, he was 25 for 41. That's 61%, so 16 percentage points lower for 198 yards for 4.8 yards per pass. So that is 4.4 yards per pass lower no touchdowns and no picks and two sacks without blitzing him same number of sacks no touchdowns allowed game number two we changed it up a lot you know 22 pass attempts against the blitz in the first game he was just five for eight in game number two which is 62.5 percent uh he had 64 yards that's eight yards per pass two touchdowns no picks and no sacks when blitzing him when not blitzing him we had two sacks he was 20 for 32 that's exact same completion rate 62.5 he had 240 yards but a full yard per pass lower than the blitzing uh seven yards per pass two touchdowns no picks and the two sacks so in total this year in two games When you blitz Josh Allen for the Miami Dolphins, he goes 22 for 30. That's 73.3% completion rate for 266 yards, 8.87 yards per pass, four touchdowns, no sack or no picks, two sacks, and a passer rating of 139.7. When they did not blitz him, he was 45 for 73. That's 61%. 
It's about a 12% reduction in, in completion rate. 438 yards for six yards per pass. That's a 2.9 reduction in yards per pass. Two touchdowns, no picks, and four sacks. So you had four sacks not blitzing him, two sacks when you did blitz him. And that 139.7 passer rating against the blitz goes all the way down to 87.6 when you don't blitz him. So, oh gosh, I don't know math. Over 50 passer rating points is what blitzing him is worth. In total, just the one takeaway. And man, remember that first game, a few opportunities, or two takeaways, I should say. A few opportunities by the boards. The fumble numbers are just black and white. They had six and we had one in the two games. And we only recovered one of the six, like, how bad turnover luck is that, man? And that's before we get to the potential picks. And of course, we had one drop of our own, the Matt Milano near pick six. But that's only one. Multiple in the other direction as well. We mentioned on both previews that Josh Allen is like Steph Curry, man. It's it's possible that he slumps for a stretch, maybe even a couple of quarters, but it does not take him more than a few minutes to drop a bevy of points on you. Go back to the Patriots game last week where they scored 35 points and two touchdowns on kickoff returns. Allen had a red zone turnover before the half and New England goes down and kicks a field goal in the third quarter to make it 17-14. That's where they got the second kickoff return for a touchdown. But then it was two bombs, Allen to Diggs, Allen to Brown. And just like that, the Patriots found themselves down by two scores. And that's when Buffalo starts turning you over three Mac Jones picks in those situations. That's what the offense can do. So it's imperative to maximize those potential lulls if you get them from Allen. He's going to go through stretches where he makes weird decisions, puts the ball in your, your hands, it is imperative to capitalize on those takeaway opportunities. Miami has just had the worst fortune in that department all year. And really every damn time we faced this dude. Remember back in 2020, three dropped interceptions. It was Kyle Van Noy, Xavier Howard. Oh, somebody else had one other one. I forgot what it was, but it was a three point game. We dropped three picks in. But again, back to this season, like just last week, we hit Joe Flacco mid-motion, mid-throwing motion like six times, not one forced fumble. Hell, he completed two or three of those passes. Then the ball that was fumbled by Zonovan Knight, that ball's around three Dolphins defenders. It actually goes through Raekwon Davis's hands in the midair, and it bounces right back to the running back. Hopefully, and you're going to need it if you don't have the quarterback again. We don't know that yet, but... If you don't have the quarterback, you have to like dominate that part of the game. And if you do have the quarterback, you probably have to win that part of the game. Hopefully that turnover luck can turn in our favor for once this weekend. All right. We heard from head coach Mike McDaniel on Wednesday morning. Let's go ahead and recap that press conference next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? But don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Back here on a Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, we heard from Mike McDaniel just moments ago before publishing this podcast, and he gave us the breaking news that quarterback Tua Tungavailoa will not play in the game on Sunday. He has not been cleared by doctors to resume activities on the field. Kind of felt like that had to happen on Wednesday in order to have a chance to play in the game on Sunday. 
So we'll see about who plays quarterback. It sounds like, according to Mike McDaniel, the team is preparing as if Skylar Thompson will start the game. Teddy Bridgewater, McDaniel says, still working his way back uh, to be capable enough to play on Sunday with that dislocated pinky injury he suffered against the Patriots. Coach talked a lot about Tua and the way that he was an integral part of the season, um, but also very frustrated for him to not be able to go out there and play with his teammates um, because he enjoys playing football, has a bunch of fun, and what's more fun than postseason football. Didn't get an update on uh, Teron Armstead, kind of the exact same thing we've heard the last few weeks. Uh, same deal with Raheem Mostert. There was a great great question and answer about Daryl Bevel in there, about Skylar Thompson's preparation, mentioning how he only really got those preseason reps and then it's all scout team and going into the indoor facility after practice and getting those extra reps because they, you don't get reps when you're the third string quarterback uh, when it comes to actual practice reps on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So he did a good job of putting himself in position to learn as much as he could. And now he'll have to kind of lean on that because it sounds like he will be the quarterback against the Bills on Sunday. Let's go ahead and call it a podcast right there. I, I know we were all hoping for uh, better news there about too well on Sunday, but it sounds or it doesn't sound like it's official. He'll be out for the game up in Buffalo. We'll go ahead and preview this game on the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank co- uh, podcast. All the podcasts on our international network as well, as well as the Twitter Spaces show and the post game show on Five Sixty. Uh, could be our last go-around this Sunday. Also, the team YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins Today. Some drive time and fish tank content up there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Cameron, Daddy's coming home.